0: The following is a Kingfisher media production. Hey guys, you're listening to the In the Blood podcast. I am your host AC Bergen Fisher and thank you so much for listening whether you are a new or returning listener. I'd like to invite you to find a quiet place where you can consider what's being shared with an open mind and a receptive heart. Before we begin though, the following disclaimer. I am not a therapist and nothing presented here should be considered as therapy. If you feel that therapy would be beneficial, please seek out a licensed therapist who you trust. One of the questions that has been coming up over and over again over the last several months, mostly coming from people who are dealing with um, family estrangement issues, is asking, how do I move on and live something resembling a normal life when somebody who is such an important part of it is missing? And this isn't an easy question to answer by by any stretch of the imagination, especially when you are talking to an estranged mother who is crying over the loss of her adult children, somebody who's inconsolable with grief and just doesn't know, like, okay, well, what does the next step look like? This isn't the natural order of things for a, a, a parent to lose a child, whether it be to death or to circumstance, And a lot of times it seems like the circumstance is just as painful, if not more painful for for some of these people. And me not being a mother, I have a really difficult time speaking to a mother's heart. I mean, I can try to imagine where they're coming from. I can listen to what they're describing. But at the end of the day, I don't know what it's like to lose a physical piece of myself. Because I mean, that's really what a kid is, right? A mother will gestate that, that growing life. It'll be nourished from her own flesh. It grows attached to her body. And man, even just thinking about how difficult it would be to give birth and, and lose that literally having that other life inside of you connection. Like hats off to any, any women who get through that. And like the postpartum is minimal because. That seems like a pretty big thing from a guy's perspective. But I mean, flashing forward, you go through 18 to to 30 years, whatever it is, raising, training, guiding, relating, loving loving this child only for something to come up. And all of a sudden, they either tell you, mom, I don't want you in my life, or even worse yet, they just disappear, block you. And that's the end of that. And I don't like leaving people that come to me looking for guidance or or help with an I don't know. I don't know just, I don't know. My dad used to say when I was a kid, I don't know isn't an answer. I don't know is a cop-out. Now, I don't know if I agree with my dad's assessment of things or not. Either way, I'm left feeling uncomfortable with leaving somebody with that. I prefer to leave them with Let me ask around, see if I can find something useful for you, and I'll get back to you when I've got something of substance. So keeping in mind this question of like trying to help a mom make sense of what life is supposed to look like without her child in it, I went to the one person who I thought would be best qualified to answer that question for me, which was my mother. The, the reason I went to my mom is because, first of all, while by her own admission, she's not a very well-educated person formally. She's got a lot of life experience, you know, street smarts, if, if you want to call it that. And she understands a lot about what it's like to lose not just adult children, but, I mean, children, children. The the, the woman's been through some shit I can tell you, right? And I don't want to get too far into the details of her story. That's hers to share or not. But still, the only reason I mention anything even in passing, just so you understand that this is a person who is actually qualified to speak to the heart of the matter. You know, not as a psychologist, but literally speaking to the heart of it, to the mother's heart that is in pain. And my mom had given me one sentence and she said, when these moms come to you and they ask you, what, what do I need to do? She always says, you need to tell them they need to learn to let go without letting go. Now, to me, this sounds idiotic. It, it just, I don't know. Like, if somebody comes to me and says, well, how do I, I don't know. How do I cook a pork chop? Well, you know, you have to cook the pork without cooking the pork. I mean, this is how it sounds to me. But the silly thing is, is whenever I go to one of these grieving mothers and say, well, you know, I talked to my mom. I don't know if this is going to make sense to you, but I'm just going to give you what she told me. And it was this. You need to learn to let go without letting go. 100% of the time, These mums are having this, oh my God, that is so profound moment. One one lady even said she wanted to print off my mum's words, put them in a frame and hang them on her wall as a daily reminder that this is what needs to be done. And I'm still left sitting here thinking, I cannot make sense of this. And I don't know, maybe some of you mums that are listening are thinking, wow, this guy's an idiot. Maybe you're right, I don't know. Because I, I tell you, I sure feel like an idiot when everybody else seems to be understanding this and I don't understand it. But, you know, to try to minimize these feelings of me being stupid, I, I ran this by a couple of guys. And I said, hey, if I told you you need to learn to let go with the letting go, what would that mean to you? And one guy said, well, did you get that out of a fortune cookie? Because that's stupid. So maybe it's just a guy thing. Maybe we're just not qualified to get it. You know, when I, w- I was talking to Creed earlier today, I I said, is this something that you need ovaries to process? And she said, well, yeah, ovaries and probably a uterus too would help. But you're, you're definitely not set up to to make sense of this. So fine. I'm left thinking maybe this is something more closely related to closure. Maybe women have a sense of taking what I'm going to talk about for the next probably way too long, reducing it to one sentence and moving on with their day because I don't know, as as much as I see women as being pretty complicated, it seems like they're really, really skilled at simplifying the big stuff in life. And maybe this is one of those things where I'm the complicated one. I don't know. But I started thinking, you know, like this, it, it feels a lot like when there's a romantic breakup And then the the, the person who's broken up with me just decides, you know what, I'm just going to go completely no contact, leaving me with no explanation. And I'm stuck there thinking, yeah, but I need answers. And that whole position of sitting there thinking, yeah, but I need answers. That is, I understand it, is the need for closure. Now, a need for closure isn't limited to romance. Of course, it's it could be applied to any kind of relationship. And. If I sit there thinking, okay, well, what is closure in my own words? I think of closure as finding answers which allow me to move forward without having to struggle with the why questions. You know, why did they leave? Why won't they talk to me? Why don't they love me anymore? So, if I'm trying to find these answers, like how how do I go about getting this closure? Like, do I ask for it? I mean, I I don't even know if asking for it is always on the table, but let's assume that the other party is willing to talk to me. What is a good way for me to go about asking for closure? And I'm thinking, okay, well, it comes down to some simple do's and don'ts. And again, I'm not a trained psychologist, not a licensed therapist. I'm just a person with some experience and some perspective And if what I present is useful, cool. If it's not useful, well, feel free to send me an email to that effect. But I'm thinking like definitely do think about which clearly defined questions to ask. And the reason I put it that way is because it's really easy to convince somebody maybe to come and sit down with you at Starbucks and say, hey, I got some questions for you. And they're like, cool. I'll I'll give you that because I don't want to deprive you of your closure. I mean, we all understand the value of closure. But if I take that conversation and I'm all over the place and this person doesn't even know what the hell I'm on about, what I'm asking, they're going to probably lose patience with the process pretty quickly because keeping in mind, this is already a person who doesn't really want anything to do with me. They're doing me a solid by sitting down and allowing themselves to be interrogated. And if I haven't done my homework, I haven't prepared okay, what questions do I want to ask and how do I want to ask them? That's just a recipe for disappointment and disaster. You know, which leads me to, to the, the, the next point, which is like, do definitely keep things as short as is productively possible. You don't need to ask 40 questions with follow-up clarifying questions. This is a case of like, look, where are you coming from? What's going on? Is there anything I could have done to change things? What do I need to do moving forward? You know, questions like that. Of course, you've got your own personality. You've got your own relationship. You probably already have a decent sense of what these questions should be. So I don't need the spoon to feed them to you. You know, do definitely prepare for the possibility that the other person won't give you anything. And this is even if they've agreed to sit down with you. They may not like your questions. They may feel like they're being attacked. When people feel attacked, what do they do? They get on the defensive. A defensive person, in my experience, is not a communicative person, at least not in a friendly way. They may communicate that you're an asshole. They may communicate that they hate you. They may communicate at the highest possible volume, but they're not communicating in a way that I think anybody's really going to enjoy. So just be, be prepared. You know, the the last of the, of the do points is like do absolutely 100% respect the fact that they are done with the relationship, at least for now. Them agreeing to answer some of your questions to help give you closure doesn't mean that the door is open to peace talks, you know, like, can we start plotting out our reconciliation? I take this conversation as a great sign that there's still hope. You know, like we, we get desperate, we get kind of stupid, and when we get desperate and stupid, we get pushy. When we get pushy, then we don't really pay the kind of attention to other people's boundaries that we should. So, you know, let, let's just approach this with that understanding. They are done. So let's make sure that the entire conversation is respectful of that fact. See what we don't want to do. We don't want to be pushy if they don't respond or if they tell us that they don't want to talk at all. Because if somebody just ghosts you, or ghosts us, I guess, that's a fairly clearly communicated boundary that, hey, I'm not interested in conversation. If you keep on ignoring that, They're going to get more and more and more distant and defensive, and the amount of time they're going to need to recover and be ready to talk to you again is going to get longer and longer and longer, which is counterproductive. If your whole goal is to reconnect with this person, it may seem counterintuitive to not push your way into somebody's life when you're trying to get into their life. But when you love somebody with an open hand, they're far more likely to be receptive. I mean, especially if there's a habit of you pushing past boundaries, if suddenly you're not pushing past their boundaries, they will see that as a, a, a change in you that may help start rebuilding the trust in the situation that, hey, maybe they're not dealing with the same person they've always dealt with. Maybe when you say, I'm working on myself, they have good reason to believe you. If they're willing to engage, don't take advantage of it in any way. I don't need to spell this one out. You know what taking advantage looks like? We're all grownups here. Don't take advantage of them. Do not. Don't go off script. You know, thinking about like a little bit early, we we're talking about clearly defined questions, a limited number of questions. Run through all this stuff in your head before the meeting And then once the meeting has happened, don't, don't go away from that. It it would be so easy to do. I mean, if they say something that triggers you, it sets you off. You might just want to like get back into an old argument, you know, whatever it was that led to the rift to begin with. And and this is why just do everybody a favor, stick to the script. It's the only thing that's going to work. You know, don't, forget why the the conversation is happening again that ties into like sticking to the script ties into like not um trying to redefine the purpose not trying to re- negotiate reconciliation all those kind of things you are here for a reason do not forget what that reason is the reason is you don't want to be left sitting wondering what the hell just happened with this relationship why won't so and so talk to me this is the time to get those answers. It's not the time to beg them back into your life or quote-unquote get back to normal. Normal sucks. Normal led you to this place where you're going your separate ways. Normal is the last freaking thing you want. We all know it. That might hurt, but we know it's true. You know, the the other side of things is, you know, what if we're the ones who have decided to sever contact? What if the other person is approaching us and we're just thinking, oh, God, I do not want to talk about this right now. I don't want to deal with them. You know, you ever have those moments where you just you think I can't even <laughs> I know I do. I have them all the time. But sometimes we need to push past our selfish needs just for a few moments to be considerate not just of where the other person is coming from, but also where we're hoping things will go in the long term. Because, you know, like I've parted ways with somebody because I can't handle the way things are going. If I want any chance of things changing directions in the future, I'm going to have to give them a little bit of information about what it is that set me off in the present. It, It may actually serve my interests, to push past that comfort level, to push past that no contact policy I've put in place, just to try to give the other person a bit of closure, you know. So if I'm if I'm trying to give somebody closure, I, I got to be as transparent as is humanly possible. I can't. Be, this is not the time to be hiding things because, I mean, what do I got to lose? The relationship is basically on the rocks anyways. So what? If you think I'm a I'm a jerk, what what changes? We're not talking to each other either way. This is the best time to just be straight with the other person. Even if it's just a case of like, it's something really petty. Like I hate the smell of your shampoo. I refuse to be in the room with it. Don't make up some nonsense about, I don't know, whatever you're going to make up nonsense about. Just be honest. Like, Hey, I'm a petty, shallow piece of crap right now. And that's what you're dealing with. Enjoy. Nothing wrong with that. Well, I mean, the other person might disagree with me, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, we talked about earlier, like if we're trying to get closure, we want to ask clearly defined questions. You know, if when the other person comes to you looking for closure and they ask you their clearly defined questions, answer those questions clearly. Don't be afraid to take responsibility for your part in things either, because I promise you, you played a role. Even in the most abusive situation, there are times when our reactions are inappropriate. There are things we could have done differently. Now, I'm not saying that any of us cause abuse to be directed in our way. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we know that like, even if it's a case of, I don't know, we, we, we just developed a shitty attitude. Not necessarily just towards the abuser, but in general, it's like, look, like I I know I haven't been easy to be around. Doesn't mean that they got a right to punch you in the face, but hey, if you know you're not easy to be around, just like tell them that I'm not saying like you're necessarily going to be looking to give your abuser closure, but I'm, I'm using that as an extreme example. If you're dealing with a person who's just neglected the relationship, they just maybe they're a jerk in ways that they don't completely see because that's their their normal headspace. They may think that they're the hero of the story. They may think that you're the villain. Maybe in order for them to calm down and start like taking the edge off of the way they approach you, they need to hear you say, "You know what? Mistakes were made on both sides. I own my end of things. I'm sorry for that." Also, if we're, if we're giving closure, I think we want to be clear that this is not an opportunity to attempt reconciliation. This is basically like an exit interview, right? Anybody ever had one of those? I've been through one or two, and it's, it's kind of like a cool process. I mean, either you've put in your notice or the boss has told you, well, hey, we got to let you go. They want to sit down, and they want to talk to you about Okay, basically, what were the things that did and didn't work for both parties? How could the boss or the employee improve in, in, in the future? This is all useful stuff. Relationships should be like that when they end too. And um, one, one of the things that Creed has recommended a couple times is writing like an exit letter, which is basically on your way out the door saying, hey, this is the stuff that I see to have been the problems. I don't want to leave you wondering. And put it on paper. If you can do that in a conversation, even better. Okay, well, we're giving closure. We don't want to offer false hope. Which can be tempting sometimes because I mean, for those of us who don't really like confrontation, maybe we want to make it sound like okay, well, we're receptive to talking again real soon. We're open to revisit this in a couple weeks is what we say out loud, but in our heads with like an F you, it'll be a cold day in hell and answer your call again. I just want to get out of this without awkward conversation. Don't do that. If you have no intention of talking to the person again, you know what? Better to have 30 seconds of awkward and then your phone doesn't ring every other week for the next year, triggering the crap out of you. This person knows that you want to be left alone. Set the boundary face to face, have enough respect for yourself to do that. Don't get roped into old arguments during this conversation. That's the easiest thing in the world to do is just like, keep on fighting. Look, if you wanted to keep on fighting, you could have just stayed in the relationship. Presumably you were tired of the fighting and that's why you decided to break contact. So if the whole point of this conversation is to give closure, don't argue. Arguing isn't giving closure. Arguing is escalating the situation and making it worse. You know, you want to be transparent. You want to take responsibility for your part, but taking responsibility, the flip side of that is wanting to like drag the other person into taking responsibility too. And it's really, really easy to start playing the blame game. Well, you know, I know I screwed up, but you know, you screwed up way bigger. And that's the only reason I did anything wrong. It wasn't my fault. It's all your fault. You made me do it. Ridiculous. We all do it. It's ridiculous though, right? Don't forget why this conversation is happening. and I mean, like emotionally in this sense, why it's happening. We're trying to make the parting of ways easier. We're not trying to make it more painful. So if we can sort of stay on topic, we can communicate in sensitive ways. Even if we're talking about delicate stuff, even if we're talking about things that are triggering us, focus on the fact that this conversation isn't going to last forever You don't have to have it again next week. This is the last time you're going to be visiting this subject matter while you're in this raw state. Just get through it. You can always go punch a hole in the wall later if that's what you feel you need to do. Go for a run, have a drink, smoke a joint, whatever your, you know, make me feel better thing is. You can do that afterwards. Just don't melt down during the conversation. Remember that as much as you want to make things easier for them emotionally, you want to make things easier on you too, because if you act like a real jerk when somebody's coming to you looking for closure, chances are you're going to start feeling remorse once things calm down a little bit. Then you're going to want to reach out before it's the time to reach out, and then before long, you're right back into business as usual, building tension until the next estrangement happens. I don't think anybody wants that. This up and down, this like family roller coaster. It's it's brutal. At some point, it's got to end. So just, you know, be sensitive. Try to make the, the parting ways as easy as possible. I, I think that closure is a necessary thing. And if we don't find it, we can easily get stuck in a never ending self destructive loop of things like blaming ourselves, being insecure in our other relationships having unhealthy fear-based relationship habits, things like that. You know, we can end up poisoning every relationship we have just because one went sideways. And that's, I'm I'm a big fan of of, of closure. But there are times where you can't get it from the other person. So what then? And this is a tough one. Because the thing, Most of us have gone through this at least once in life where it's a case of like, look, if I could just have that conversation with the other person, they could set me straight. And even if I wasn't happy, at least I wouldn't be left wondering why. But I I think it it pays to focus on the idea that even though ending the relationship might not have been your choice, you have to accept that you won't get what you want. And you have to respect their decision to go no, no contact. And when I say like you, you need to accept that you won't get what you want, you won't get to grab them by the lapels and shake them. and say give me answers. You won't get to scream at them on the phone. You won't get to have a conversation over a piece of pie. You just, you, you're not going to get that. They have slammed the door in your face. They have blocked you. They are not willing to talk. And you have to figure out how to get comfortable with that. I don't mean happy with it. Just comfortable. You know, closure at the end of a relationship is necessary, but if there's no way to get it from the other person, like sadly, you do have to figure out how to find it by yourself. And in my experience, that starts with things like accepting that. No amount of apologies, pleading, appeals to reason or bargaining is going to make them come back. It's, 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 it's not within our power anymore. They have decided to leave and we can't put hooks into them and drag them back into our lives. Even if we could, do we really want that? Do we really want somebody who feels obligated to us? Somebody who feels trapped with us? Or would we rather be surrounded by people who choose to be around us? Like I've, I've often said to, to my wife, you know, if we have an argument and husbands and wives like, oh God, we can be like the worst people in the world when it comes to having difficult conversations. Every time something difficult is on the table, you know, somebody's leaving somebody. It's just the way it seems to go, right? And when it's her that's being the drama queen once in a while, and it's not me for once, I like to say, you know what? N- nobody's a prisoner in my life. If you feel like you need to go, go. And I like to think that once the heat of the moment has died down, she has a chance to process, she realizes that, like, what I'm not saying is I want you gone. What I'm saying is I want you to want to be here, which is ultimately what my message is. And, and not just for her, for anybody in my life. Anybody who's going to be a part of my life, if you don't want to be here, like, I, I don't want to feel like a burden. I don't want to feel like, okay, well, after work today, I'm going to, take out the trash. I'm going to mow the lawn and then I'm going to phone AC. I don't want to be a chore. I want to be something you will, you look forward to, you know? So like, I'm not going to try to negotiate getting you back into my life. I'm not talking about like, um, I'm not, I'm not willing to sit down and resolve a conflict. That's a totally different thing. What I'm saying is when it's one sided, when you've made it clear, you're done. I'm not going to beg you to not be done. No, none of us should beg each other to not be done. Like, just accept it. It's it's just easier that way. You know, take take this time of no contact to reflect on your role in things going sour. But don't don't dwell on the the ugliness or blame yourself for the parting away. just think of okay, what could I have done differently? What what do I wish I had said or done in that moment? What will I do? in the future if i've given the opportunity with this person again that all ties into engaging in self-care and personal improvement you know creed and i have talked a lot about doing what we call the work if you want to know what the work is well you know listen to any one of the other episodes that i've done <laughs> either on the estranged heart or you know many of the other ones on on this show doing the work you know it. it's It's basically taking the focus off the other person, putting it back on yourself. And I don't mean like sit there having a pity party, like literally figure out what it's going to take to make you better. Because even if the other person doesn't come back, you're still stuck living in your own skin. Don't you want to be as comfortable there as possible? And the the last thing, and and this is the obstacle to closure that I think is the hardest one for most of us to, to overcome. And that's, figuring out how to stop wallowing in the reminders of the person who's no longer there if you have to take down their pictures for a little while take them down if there's a gift that they've given you maybe take it down off the shelf i'm not saying throw this stuff away but maybe it needs to spend a little bit of time in the drawer so that you can spend some time rebuilding your emotional well-being Like there's, there, there, there's more I could, I can say on this, but I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time like unpacking in detail. I think maybe just I'll, I'll run through like a quick list of, of reasons why I think finding closure is important. And, and you can think about what these mean to you. It's important because it, it allows you to get answers so that you can understand why they deci- decided to sever the relationship. It offers us the opportunity to learn from our mistakes so we can avoid making the same ones in the future. It allows us to accept that we are not in control of whether they communicate with us. It highlights the mistakes we made, allowing us to acknowledge that we actually played a part in things going sideways. We can start taking steps towards making amends. We can leave things on better terms than if we disregard their need for time and distance. That's a big one. Put a star beside that if you're taking notes. It gives us time to make sense of what actually happened from their perspective instead of keeping the focus on defending our take on things. When we gain an understanding of what went wrong... We can learn more about ourselves and start working on healthier us, right? That's all part of the work. Without closure, we might keep blindly hoping that things will fix themselves. The other person will quote unquote, come to their senses or that God will intervene. That blind hope is counterproductive. It's unhealthy. And getting closure can help us avoid poisoning our other relationships. So, I mean, if you're really not sure what to do right now, while I'm not a fan of writing letters, maybe you can try to find some closure by writing a letter or an email if that's your only way into the other party. Accept that this is the way the things are right now. Use this time. Don't waste it. Don't waste it on toxic, nonsense use it to do the work use it to figure things out respect the no contact boundaries absolutely take the time to feel your feelings this is important you don't want to park there you don't want to wallow you you don't want to be sad full time but you definitely need to take the time to feel your feelings and anybody who tells you to push them deep down inside tell them to get bent you need to feel your feelings and the last thing, the most important thing, is find a good therapist. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm not talking a Christian, or I don't want to single out Christians. I'm not talking about a religious counselor through your place of worship. I'm talking about an actual certified secular therapist or coach that'll help you navigate these difficult times. If you've got the opportunity for either of the to, to to seek out either of those, find them. They will make your journey so much easier. If you don't have access to something like that, then check out an episode I did a little while ago called "How to Deal Without Therapy." That'll walk you through the steps of how to navigate w- w- without having a therapist or a coach. Okay, so I think I've gone on long enough. Hopefully, I've left you with some things that are useful and helpful if you have any follow-up questions or even if you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching session with me you can email me at inthebloodpod at gmail.com and until next time my friends much love